Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio. This podcast is focused on how the Henry Ford Health System integrated clinical trials into clinical care across their entire system from the 2023 Craco Clinical Research as a Care Option Conference. For more information on the Craco Conference, editorial, podcast, or webcast, visit cracoevent.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. So next, I'd like to invite uh, the next uh, group of speakers, uh, Jennifer Gibson-Levy, Donna O'Brien, and David Lanfear, to share an example from the Henry Ford uh, Health System. Great. Well, I'm Donna O'Brien again, and um, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm David Lanfear. I'm a uh, cardiologist and researcher at Henry Ford. I'm a VP for clinical and translational research, and thanks for having me out here today. And Jenny, introduce yourself. Hi, I would have loved to have been there in person, but we recently had a baby. Um, so I, uh, I am the vice president of education and the system academic enterprise. So I really am an administrative dyad um, to the work that our academics do, like uh, Dr. Lanfear. Great, and um, we just need the clicker. Um, I, I can advance the slides. Oh, okay, all right, great. Great. So what we're going to talk about today is I'm going to do a kickoff. Oh, thank you. Um, Jenny's going to talk about um, Henry Ford. Go back for a second, Jenny. Oh, just go back. Sorry. Jenny's going to talk about Henry Ford Health, the case for change, working with them, um, what the beginning state was, kind of the scope of the approach, um, kind of where they're they're going now, um, the new plan, what lessons learned, what were the challenges, um, and then that's that's our wrap-up. So uh, next slide. I just wanted to say, Henry Ford Health, they wanted to strengthen their translational research and commissioned an assessment across the T0 to T5 spectrum. Everyone does counts differently for Ts, but um, they were interested in that. And they had many strengths with a history of practice changing research, but clinical trials were a barrier, identified it as a barrier to translation and to trial growth. So the challenge, this is a challenge not only for them, but for many organizations. So what they were interested in was a comprehensive assessment of systems and culture across the enterprise to understand more about those barriers. And they really had a strong commitment to making and investing in the needed changes. They just wanted to know what to do, how to do it, um, what the co- complexities of that were. So we're going to talk about the, the how, like what, where they started and where they're going. And it was a year-long process of working together on this because, um, as Julie said, it's very hard work. It's hard work within organizational cultures. So next slide is Jenny. Yeah, so uh, we just wanted to just briefly touch on Henry Ford Health and um, sort of its its size and scope. Um, so, you know, we're 6,000 physicians and researchers. We serve Southeast Michigan, um, five hospitals, 250 locations, and we have a health plan with about 600,000 members. Um, so, you know, our main and our main academic center is in Detroit, um, right in the city there, and has been there for for over a hundred years. So, uh, we have strong roots there, and you know, our medical group and um, our research are really focused in that Detroit um, specific location. And then just within the last couple of years, we have um, initiated a primary academic partnership with Michigan State University um, that primarily is actually focused on research. Um, 
and really basic science research and NIH research. Um, so, you know, Henry Ford is really bringing the clinical uh, research and translational research component to the table since uh, Michigan State didn't really have a strong clinical partner um, until they partnered with Henry Ford. So these are really our goals um, in advancing this um, really clinical trial strengthening exercise that Donna spoke about. So um, it's one of our, our goals to have uh, practice changing research and, and we historically have done that over the history of the medical group. You know, we expanded sepsis protocols, for example, um, also um, robotic surgery, and then, you know, David could speak about all of the, the first in nation work that we've done in, in cardiology um, and cardiovascular disease. Um, you know, we as you all know, it's becoming much more challenging to compete for national grants um, and earlier phase trials. Um, it's becoming a lot more selective and um, there's just a lot more competition and specificity that's required. Um, we also see ourselves, you know, it's one of the, the quotes is, that we kind of live by is there's no great American city without a great academic medical center. And Henry Ford really sees itself as that. Um, so we really, you know, we consider it a part of our mission to be able to offer cutting edge research and research opportunities to our patient population um, and providing them with, you know, first in nation um, care and treatment. Um, you know, we, we want to be able to, being able to do cutting edge research is a really important part of recruitment and retention, um, as well as building our service lines. Um, you know, we, we typically like to, to have a really kind of high end, top end research that strengthens the service line, you know, whether it's cancer, um, neuroscience, or cardiology across the system. Um, you know, we really, it's just, donors are very excited about um, research and being a part of it. Um, and then we also uh, are moving towards an NCI um, comprehensive cancer center de designation as a part of the partnership with MSU and um, clinical trials, as you know, are a really big part of that. Um, no, we wanted to strengthen our clinical trial operation overall, um, really increasing efficiency, um, recruiting and retaining research support personnel, which we have a pretty high turnover um, in the past, um, increasing the, well, reducing tension by um, fixing our infrastructure. Um, and that's really our pre-award and post-award um, infrastructure and processes. And then, you know, finally improving clinical trial performance with the right study for the right patient with a strong accrual um, that's, you know, important for both of our, both our patients and our industry sponsors. 
Um, so Donna touched on this a little bit, um, but I'll go into it a little bit more. So what we really found um, during this process, and a lot of this actually came out during um, COVID, um, which is where kind of a lot of this came to its head because we had, um, as many other organizations, we had our physician scientists and clinicians really focusing on, on research um, during that period. Um, so, you know, we, we, we do have some real gems. We have some incredible research that goes on, but it wasn't, um, across the entire organization. And, you know, we really noticed that there was a, you know, there was a lack of the culture of research and supporting research across the entire organization. It was very, we had really deep, uh, pockets of it, but it wasn't something that was really organizationally wide. Um, we didn't have protected time for um, research. We have other mechanisms for it. Um, and then, you know, we had, I, I would say the largest issue was that it was very decentralized, our clinical trial operations. So there were um, basically each department for the most part, with the exception of cancer, uh, was really doing their own clinical trial operations. And this is, and from what we spoke about with Donna, this is pretty common in, in many organizations, just given the structure um, of medical groups and academic centers. And that was really something that we wanted to, to centralize and focus on. Um, you know, we have an access to a very large uh, patient population that's extremely diverse and have a very trusted um, relationship in our community um, that we're very, that we spend a lot of time focusing on. Um, and that's really something that we feel that we can offer to um, clinical trial sponsors. And, you know, we do have, um, you know, this incredibly strength, this incredible uh, population health focus and really doing, you know, first in, in nation research for population health and population health equity, um, which is a really unique differentiator and really a focus of our organization. So, you know, we brought in um, Manat, which was a, a consulting firm that we've worked with many on many academic um, focused areas. Um, and this was really kind of the change process at, and at high level. So um, it was driven by executive leadership. So our chief clinical officer and chief academic officer were the sponsors of this and really drove it forward. Um, we engaged the big stakeholders, so the, the big trialists, both in cancer and um, in all of the departments, we formed an advisory committee and they were part of the change process. Um, actually getting data was pretty complex uh, process uh, because we didn't have a central repository of data. We're working on that now with, you know, being able to have a clinical trial management um, software system we're using Encore. But prior to that, we did not have um, data. So we actually used a red cap survey, um, a research tool to be able to find a lot of um, information. Um, we engaged operations as well as physician investigators. And then um, 
really engage finance to participate in the process and do an ROI analysis, which, um, you know, that's, it's a very niche area of, of finance uh, researches. So that, that process took quite, quite a long time. Um, and then should I speak about this slide or would David like to do this one? I think David's next, right? I don't know. Okay, so I'll <clears throat> speak about the slides. So if you look at the summary of recommendations, we really have kind of three that we focused on. So we really, we knew that we needed to have um, structure and systems that um, allowed us to achieve our, our goals. Um, so really the, the first, the governance organization and finance is what we really focused on. Um, and a really big part of that was the promotion of Dr. Leanne Fear um, to a leadership role and the retirement of our former uh, vice president of research and, you know, really making, making a focus clinical trials. Um, we really needed to have an infrastructure that was high performance and centralized, you know, just kind of some anecdotal examples, you know, we would have a really strong clinical trial um, infrastructure in one department, and then you know we would have somebody would retire or would leave to go work in a work in industry, for example, an administrative person, um, and then you know it wouldn't be so strong anymore. So we really wanted to achieve economies of scale um, and ensuring compliance and satisfaction um, of our researchers. We really our researchers are our customers um, to an extent, and we really wanted to delight them and uh, focus on them. And then finally, um, we really wanted to put in resources and structures that supported clinical investigators and research staff. So a large component of that is funds flow that is accretive and focused on um, building and incentivizing clinical trial success and clinical research success um, that really allows our investigators to focus on clinical trial work and research work um, as well as, you know, investigator initiated work by, um, by basically having a, a flywheel of um, financials. So... Next slide. Am I doing this one? I guess I can I can take over. Okay, great. Um, but I guess I want to put out a disclaimer first. You know, the agenda said like, oh, Henry Ford did this. You know, we are a work in progress. Like progress being the key word here. And despite Jenny's vote of confidence, like hire you know, <laughs> supporting me or making me uh, this role is not the solution. Okay, <laughs> but uh, something that they did do right was uh, you know we did have a group that we got together to about this process and we engaged a lot of leaders in the clinical research clin in clinical trials in particular and to think about how we should do this whether some uh, external engagement would really help us and that was one of the conclusions we came to um, and I do think the leadership um, having that leadership support and saying like we really need to think about this to invent be willing to invest in it and we need a change here is is really critical the thing is about us is I guess I don't want to make us sound too bad. We were actually a great place that's done some great work. The I think what has happened over the last say decade, for example, is clinical research, clinical trials have changed drastically. 
And in 10 years ago or 20 years ago, we were really focused on building the um, philanthropic NIH or foundation pro uh, profile and building that up. And our research leader was indeed or is you know a PhD scientist, and we did have ex a good growth there. But we've grown overall, and we've outgrown the kind of the clinical trials were kind of organic. I would say instead of like it's not complete disorganization, but it was it was organically grown and not kind of centrally m managed. And so we went from being you know I think. 50 million in external research to now, the last few years we've been over 100 million for three years, 120 million of external research, about 60% of which is clinical trials, and it's basically gotten too big to be organic, and it needs to be kind of, you know, better thought out in order to, because we're reaching the end of what we can do with that, and just in terms of the throughput, we get stuck in lots of places. So creating so, uh, a new position that would help focus on clinical trials, since the research leader at that point was really a basic scientist, and then start looking at our structures and what we need to do. And so, yeah, we basically created a clinical trials office. We had technically a clinical trials office, but it wasn't functioning as a central clinical trials office. It was operating certain subsets of clinical trials. And, you know, we had a medical director, but not one that was like really active in the clinical trial business. And we didn't have, again, you know, a, a high level leader that had experience in clinical trials as opposed to science. Um, and then we did think a lot about strategically about what we could do just by kind of reforming our own processes versus, versus hiring our build versus buy, as Donna puts it. And we ended up coming to the conclusion that we should buy a certain uh, important set of services while we also try to build some things in between. And then things that kind of went into my personal thinking on some of this is that you can, you know, you, it's very hard to kind of maintain enough expertise in-house all the time to be consistently excellent. And if you want, and, you, and it's a very competitive world out there, if you want to be successful and you want to grow, you have to be reliable and you have to be, you know, one of the best all the time, not just part of the time or in a haphazard kind of way. Uh, and then the centralization, the, the regulatory burden and other components of clinical trials really is out of control. It's gotten terrible over the last 10 years. And so having uh, some centralization and structure and support for that, for all the investigators, uh, you know, obviously is critical, or maybe it's not obviously, but it is. So that was, we wanted to build all those things, and so that's that's where we got to. Next slide, please. Oh, oh we have control, or no, Jenny's got control. So yeah, we, as I said, we had a, um, I think, a pretty well-rounded committee where we had not only physician investigators that were involved, but also uh, research managers, you know, clinical coordinators that gave input and reviewed kind of what we were thinking about in terms of. Um, I guess you could say outsourcing, but I would say it's kind of increasing our capacity. Uh, we actually put out a formal request for proposals and went through um, a, a fair bit of process with several uh, potential partners. Um, we did have finance engagement with ROI, and this is really critical, again, from on high. Not only the CEO, but the CFO needs to be on board because there's a certain investment needed to do this, meaning that, you know, in the end, it'll end up paying for itself, but up front, there's some capital outlay. So we couldn't really do it without that. Uh, I do think, as you guys already heard, the business case was there, but I think making that and actually having the leadership on board um, makes me feel good about my institution and that they embrace this vision where there is an academic hub and the academic mission will help drive the clinical delivery mission. For us, we're an interesting institution that we're mostly clinical delivery. We've always been under one, guys, like you heard some comments earlier about the university versus the hospital. 
we were we, Henry Ford's been one thing forever. That doesn't stop us from fighting about where the money goes and whether it's a good investment or not, and the different parts of the institution that might not all be aligned with the vision. But I think, as an academic medical center, that's part of what drives business to you. Some patients want to actually participate in trials, but a lot of patients just want to be at that place that is doing the cutting edge work that has the what is seen as, or in our case, the best medical care. Um, I'm kidding. Uh, and then we had, as we got more detail with the uh, proposals that we got, thinking about which things we really want to purchase and which things we don't, what things we can partner, what things we really need to keep in house, and that's kind of a that's something we could have uh, actually a discussion about because I'll bet you it's different at every place and what kind of you know what kind of expertise you have, whether you can maintain the right personnel for that, what things you think feel like you need to control really closely versus what things can really be done someplace else or could be done outside or could be have better expertise at a, you know, some, without, outside the institution. Um, and then implementation, you know, implementation is in process, but figuring out how to do that is, a, is another big lift as it's just change is not easy, which I think we get to in the next slide. So as, as we're getting uh, into this, and I, I guess I don't know if I should, went, at which point I should give uh, more details about what we're actually doing. I think what we decided um, on is, and I don't know how to say, we don't have a contract signed yet, so I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say. Um, but we, we, have a, we have a strong partner. I think we, after going through several, I think we, we end up selecting WCG as our partner, and we're almost to inking the deal, but not quite. But as we share this vision internally, you know, there's always worry about our jobs going away or how is this going to work and kind of, um, I, th I think it's important how to overcome that and not just have then obstruction about even considering it. Um, and to me, I've, what I pitched both above and below is that it doesn't actually change our headcount because the fact is that we need to have more capacity. We're dying under the weight of not being able to process our current burden and so whether we get help from the outside or whether we build from inside, we have to invest either way, and I don't think we're actually going to lose people. Um, the research administration structure, as I said, we already we are in rapidly changing. So we had great personnel that were tasked to kind of oversee a certain subset of trials. We've now pulled that out, separated it, created a central clinical trial office for regulatory compliance oversight. We'll be liaison to the outsourcing duties but you know that's something that's still kind of going, um, and as we a, a big change we're doing simultaneously to try to help with this is also I think Jenny mentioned this kind of uh, spreading institution wide a CTMS and we hadn't done that before, and in the, there's a whole number of reasons. One, we had already subscribed to it. Two, we don't really have good data, so we went and tried when we went to try to figure out how many trials, how many patients. We don't have great data on that. We have to go ask people, whereas if we have this rolled out, we'll, just, we'll already know that. It turns out that we're doing about 200 new clinical trials a year. I mean, pretty substantial volume, um, but hopefully we can track that a lot better. But when we roll that out, you have to, you're at putting burden on your coordinators, on your investigators, and you can get a lot of pushback. So you have to try, I mean, obviously we're trying to make it as easy on all of them as possible. Say, so look, if this is, once you learn the system, it's not gonna be more work, it'll actually be less and then all the values to the system, like we're gonna know how many trials, how much money, how many patients, where the patients are located, just all kinds of things that we can't really do without any information. Um, future improvement does not immediately help current state. I mean, so I'm kind of living that right now. Like you have to sit there and tell people, we're gonna be there, like next year we're gonna be completely modernized, but right now, 
We still have long waits in the contracting part. We still have you know slow processes also. We're still figuring a lot of things out and trying to you know have some stop gaps that help us in that and it's and it's been difficult you know staffing has been a big issue in every part of our clinical trial operation uh, so that's one of the things a separate issue challenge to overcome is HR difficulty job descriptions pay scales actually it's almost a different completely different problem that I don't know if I want to get into we're trying to fix that one too it's like, it's like we got a few too many uh, initiatives going on we're making some progress and part of this is getting your HR department on board, which I, I think we have, um, but it's a real challenge, um, meaning can we be competitive with salaries? Is there career progression? Is there, you know, we, we had a lot of different job descriptions across the institution, so we could poach each other, let alone getting poached from the outside because we don't pay as well. So we're remedying a lot of that. That also causes a lot of pain. There's going to be a big budget adjustment as a, as a result of this process which again, we have to go tell everybody and roll that change out. Like, you've been asking for this, and now it's coming, but by the way, your, your salary burden's gonna go up 20%, you know. So, lots of stuff going on. Um, and I think things that I personally have learned is that we need, need the data. So that's not only the, it's part of the reason for the solution, but it's also in order to even figure out what the solution is, you need a certain amount of data. So we had to know how far behind we were on contracts and track that data, or how many contracts we have to process and how many people we have to do that. Uh, as I already said, we needed to have the leadership on board, which thankfully we did. I mean, this went all the way up to the, the CEO and the CFO, literally, to get the approval to go forward. And um, hopefully, while they're, neither of those people are really clinical trial experts or really into it, they will trust us that we know what we're doing, but that'll mean that I have to deliver in the next two years. Um, try not to make small changes when a big change is needed. I see that. I mean, I think you need both and know when you need like a bigger solution and what things you can attack with small just kind of adjustments. And we had kind of had the slow boil of small adjustments and we really needed a big picture solution to, to jump to the next scale, to jump to the next level. Um, and again, some injection of realism about how well you could do with the current structures. I, I think that feeds back into whether you need a big kind of global solution or a small one or a combination. What we actually ended up doing was a combination. We looked at all kinds of everything uh, in terms of clinical trial operations, but we ended up picking a pretty substantial part of a menu and keeping some things separate. Uh, so it wasn't just you know wholesale here, somebody else take care of this, but I think you gotta be smart about it. Um, or try to be smart about it. Oh, we're back. Oh, the last bullet point, I had added this. This is like something I'm learning as we're evolving. We're thinking about new solutions. We're having to do the, manage this Michigan State relationship where they have different software solutions. We just bought one thing and then we got to move to the next thing. It's like, gosh, if, yeah, every, everybody wants to have a perfect IT solution for every problem in clinical trials and it doesn't work well and they don't always work well together. So it's like you, you almost have to, we, we have to stop technology from becoming the problem. I mean, actually, as an investigator, I see this, this is killing me because every time I get into a new clinical trial, there's 27 new training programs and things I have to sign up for. And if you think you can manage them all together with, with uh, SIP, you can't. And it's just, it's just, the burden is destructive. And it, it, just like that in our organization, you know, whether you got IRB, the, whatever software you purchase or the CTMS you purchase or your IRB thing, it's like they all can't work together. We really have to take a longer view and more kind of a holistic approach to this because otherwise it just creates a lot of extra burden. 
Yeah, so just, um, just a, 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 couple, a couple of additional comments. Um, you know, everybody wants things to improve and become more efficient until you touch something that's under them. So uh, along the way, and I think Jenny can comment that um, there was a lot of lobbying that went on that, um, you know, for pockets of exclusion that would have to happen and back and forth and uh, a lot of energy went into getting support for things and lots of alternative proposals. And one, one thing we did with the REDCap database is, um, you know, it's interesting to figure out, like, who is involved in research in your organization doing what function? So we, we did a REDCap across the whole organization of who's actually doing what t job titles are doing budgeting or working on contracts or working on the, and it's revealing because then as David pointed out, you had the data to show who was doing what and if a research nurse was doing lots of things a research nurse shouldn't be doing or if, um, or if a physician was doing coverage analysis, heaven forbid, that would be like a poor waste of someone's. There's no, there's no physicians doing anything. I mean, let's, let's be honest. <laughs> well, but, anyway. I mean, but the, the, that clinical research nurse may have the expertise to do it, but you're just saying you know, they, they should have already been promoted, but right. they weren't. You know, that's, that's the thing. But yes, everybody was, you know, it was, it was organic. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, the leadership needs to keep things moving forward with the ultimate vision that's kind of a big organizational fix versus incremental and pulling back on pockets of, pockets of exceptions. And then just to really say that um, you know, there's no shortcuts to this hard work. It's, it's hard, culture-changing work. And um, you have to get everyone in the organization on board to really stick to the plan. And, um, and it's a process. It's, it's a process that's going to take a period of time ne necessarily. But, um, but, but it really is hard, hard organizational work. So with that, we'll turn it over for any, any last comments, Jenny? No, and turn it over to questions. I was just commenting on the exceptions. Like basically the Encore CTMS, we basically did that just by fiat, said this is gonna happen. I frankly haven't gotten a lot of pushback yet, even though I, I feel like we could potentially, but I think making the case, like this is gonna make your life better, trying to you know offer some support, which we're offering, you know, that we're, that central we were gonna pay for builds and pay for things that make it easy on the coordinators. And then I think me being still involved in research gives me a little bit of street credit to say, look at you know, like I'm not just talking; like I'm going to walk the walk with you. He's a big heart failure researcher for everyone to know. Not, not big. I mean, only in the belly. Sorry. Hey, good morning. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, when I came to my first clinical research as a care option conference, we talked a lot about integrating research into the care continuum. And then as you've been talking about your journey, you talked about integrating, but you also talked a lot about segregating and sort of specializing for research too. It feels like a little bit of a tension for, for your journey. Just wondered if you would say anything else about that. Well, actually, I think, it, no, I don't think this pulls it out. Actually, I mean, it, it, most of what I was talking about was just trying to make it work better um, and so it'll be more available. Having it integrated into the care, which I, I firmly believe in, I mean, part of it is being able to have the throughput, to have the trial start up soon and not in four months or six months, and being able to have your coordinators, you know, trying to recruit rather than dealing with other stuff that they'd be dealing with. So, no, I didn't, we didn't get into building a community, which I think we will, meaning, you know, rolling out the CTMS institution-wide, I, I hope will then eventually help have it really everywhere, meaning all the outpatient clinics, all of the, we're a hub and spoke model, and you know, most of it exists in the hub. 
but that doesn't mean we don't want to get the spokes involved. But I think having the central office and having the CTMS, that's actually going to enable bringing it out to the spokes. I mean, that's something that the, the, the small number of people that are involved in clinical trials in those areas, that's what they want. They would like to be work with Encore. They would like to be, you know, we recently kind of uh, converged all the IRBs. There used, you know, at some point they had separate IRBs. Now we have one IRB across the whole institution, all five, you know, five hospitals. Um, and actually we're going to outsource most of IRB again to WCG, which will also streamline that. So I, I don't see it as a separation, to be honest. It, it's actually hopefully going to enable it. Yeah, and I, you know, there was a big focus on patient-facing clinical research and really strengthening that. And like an example would be um, like budgeting that was decentralized. Um, everyone that was doing budgeting wasn't skilled at doing budgeting, so that, that they bring, they're going to outsource that and bring that to be standardized. Or coverage analysis was done differently in different departments to standardize that. So it was to pull the things that were more like administrative yeah. and not patient-facing to be m much more e efficient. Well, and if you're trying to get a, a physician or a clinic involved in research who doesn't have a big, you know, uh, substantial infrastructure already, someone to do the budgeting, someone to, you know, you have to have that. So now we'll basically have provide that to them as support. And actually this is not, again, didn't have in our talk, but we're building some central infrastructure where if you don't have your own clinical coordinators, you could basically rent part of a coordinator centrally. And so that's unrelated to the kind of the stuff I went over, another kind of uh, support system that we're building. So, yeah, it's a, it's a little outside this, but some of these I want to have a central office that will be able to tell that person, support them with regulatory, support them with budgeting, so you don't have to be already established to take on that trial. You could be a new invest, a new person, new investigator in that trial. Actually, we're working on onboarding education. So this is something like we just went through what our standard onboarding is for physicians and adding in the city clinical research training and some of these things that they basically don't know, like coverage analysis. Like, you know, most physicians, they would say, oh, I want to do a clinical trial. They don't, they don't know anything about coverage analysis, and yet the institution's at risk, you know, <laughs> when they start doing trials. So. And then the other thing is, and I don't know if this is true in your experience, but um, the CEO had no picture of what research looked like in the organization, like how many trials were opened, how efficiently were they accruing, um, who was participating. Like, they never really did a a roll-up for management because it was viewed like in the clinical departments and clinical research, and, and now they're going to have a roll-up report where they can really have a comprehensive picture of what's their overall engagement in research. Yeah, I mean, it's about how easily you can get that data. I mean, you have top-level data, and we have that because they care about the money, and you know the money and where it came from, but in terms of granular data, like, you know, who is doing how many trials and how many patients, there's, there's no convenient way of doing that. I mean, this is where technology is the solution. Like, you know, we need that. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Craco Conference, editorial, podcast, or webcast, visit cracoevent.com. Thanks for listening.